This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Greetings, this is Nerd Podcast Radio, and I'm your host today, Super Vegan Brian, and we are joined by a huge cast today. First off, huge, as you can hear him speaking now, we are joined by Hindu Anthony. What's up, Buttercup? And like I said, huge, the biggest, bigliest of crowds. <laughs> Chrissy Smurf Erica cackling madly. <laughs> Hola. Oh, man. <laughs> and drum roll, please. David Theobald the third. Hey, everybody. And we are joined by a special guest this morning. We have Comic Sensation of guests. Um, <laughs> Brent Bowser, also known as his comic um, alias, alias, stage name, stage name. Yes, Vincent Holiday. Welcome. Hiya. Can you give us a short intro? In intro, intro for the people who don't know you. Uh, yes. So I am a. A stand-up comedian, a professional nerd, uh, organized play organizer. Yeah, that's a that's all you need. And 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 one of the bestest friends ever. You say that only because I brought you magic cards. <laughs> uh, well, you brought me magic cards. You, you know, you graciously allowed me to have my husband. You know, all those other that, things. That is fair. That's I did see him first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And and I introduced you to Vincent, even though we both met him for the first time on that day. I know. I know. It was just meant to be. Or Brent. <laughs> it, it's so confusing with the two names, because when I met you, you were Vincent, and then you went back to Brent, and then you have both now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... I, 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 like, uh, I like Vincent better, by the way. I do, too. It's so much more dramatic. <laughs> so we are going to talk about... No, 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 no. Hold on. I was on mute. No, Amelia loves Brent because she loves to say his whole name. So, like, today she was like, it's Brent Bowser. And I was like, yeah, she goes, they call that something. What did they call that? Oh, alliteration. His name is alliteration. <laughs> she was very excited about it. Wow. She fourth or fifth grade now? Fifth. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. Look at that. She's going to start talking about onomatopoeia any day now. <laughs> I'm sure she will. So um we are going to be talking about well Brent is going to be giving us a master class in comedy. Brent Bowser. But first, David. Oh yes, but first we're going to play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy with You, where we take a couple of minutes and talk about the nerdy things we've done over the last couple of weeks. And then we vote on who is the nerdiest using the patented Matt uh Matt Myler widget. Mike Mike, Mike Myler. It was Mike, I knew it. Hey, it's my first time, leave me alone. <laughs> you know what? 
Everybody underperforms their first time. It's okay. It was good up till then. <laughs> if it's the first time when you screw up, what's my, Michael's excuse? Damn it, he's not here. I can't make fun of him. It feels yes, wrong. You can. <laughs> you can make fun of him all you want. No one's stopping you. Shut the fuck up, Michael. <laughs> God damn it, Michael. <laughs> Michael had Michael couldn't be here because he had to personally re-engineer the um, Nerd Podcast Radio extra, extra Dimensional Portal because the window is stuck down and you can't have an extra mental portal with the window stuck down, so he's changing the motor in it. It gets too breezy. Just yeah. too breezy. Well, that and it's also like the partial radiation screen and no one wants that. So No, I just don't <laughs> like the breeziness. Yeah. And then you get all these like extramental bugs like flying in, and it's, you know a ladybug flew in there like three dimensions ago, and it just has never left. Mm-hmm. So, um, is it a ladybug or is it a parasite? I don't uh, know. I haven't actually, touched it. It's actually a guy, but we he prefers to be called a ladybug. So, oh, is that his gender <laughs> preference? Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, very yeah. woke at Nerd Podcast Radio. <laughs> Um, I would like to invite Brent to go first because he is our guest. <laughs> you have two minutes. <laughs> all right. All right. So oh, you guys will have to like, not. all right. You guys have to not laugh so I can get through this. Uh, locally, a lot of my Starfinder organized players have the, uh, boon that allows them to play noir, which is basically a space minotaur. So we have created our own faction within the Starfinder Society. We are the Steerfinder Society. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, instead of explore, report, That's collaborate, great. we uh, stop, collaborate, and listen. Yeah, I knew it. Well done. <laughs> uh, we uh, we uh, are managed in a democracy, so we have a burgermaster who is flanked by a steering committee. <laughs> You're making it really hard to not laugh here, man. <laughs> I mean, I know it. Barely works for the for the joke, but all I can think is Bison's back with a brand new tradition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you just found another uh, another recruit for us. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so if anyone would like to uh, play a space minotaur, if they have the boon for it, uh, and you play Starfinder organized play, uh, feel free to join the Steerfinder Society. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Um, our uh, our burgermaster is Chris Johnson, who plays um, uh, more cowbell, and some of our other members are uh, Soy Late J, uh, Soy Bovine, uh, Cal P. That's so much better than anything I've come up with for a Starfinder character. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, I didn't put an order down for this episode, so I guess Erica, you're up. Okay, um, I don't, mine's not nearly as punny as Brent's, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I went and played organized, uh, magic for the first time last night. Oh. Yeah. Nice. So. Neato. Did you win? No. Fuck no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. No, um, I created a deck called a Soul Sister deck. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. soul sister. Exactly. Mm-hmm. On the radio, stereo. That does not count towards my two minutes. So, um, I. Yes, it does. Go ahead. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, I. I got to play. Um, first off, I didn't know it was as long as a D and D session. So Matt <laughs> tricked me, and I'm kind of bitter that he's not here right now because he was like, he was like, well, he didn't trick me on purpose. I think he just like mumbled stuff under his breath. Because he was like, yeah, you want to go with me tonight? And it's at 9 o'clock. And 
I'm assuming it's like a two hour thing. Like how long can this thing, you know, take its magic. And turns out you play the same person three times and then you play four people. It goes until like one o'clock in the morning. I'm oh, like, yeah, I have like a, a baby. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, I have a baby. I, I have to plan four hour events. I can't, I can't just like, Oh yeah, sure. No problem. My baby only wakes up at six in the morning. But all of that aside, I had to leave early. Um, but the one guy I did get to play played a white blue control deck and had uh, a planeswalker called Jace. And it was like the worst fucking thing that ever happened. The mind in, Like at the by the end of it, he had made me discard every land I had, every yeah, creature the- I had, every yeah. Yeah, Jace is fun. Yeah, yeah, Jace is. And then, yeah, and then he discarded my. He exiled my entire fucking library. Uh Yeah, that'll happen. And then the cards in my hand became my library, and I had no mana. Yeah, I was like, you you then have seven turns to suffer. (laughs) Yep. No, Uh, I was just like, fuck it, you won. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my very first experience ever playing Magic at a shop and I think I'll just stick to the kitchen table because it's and a lot more fun. That right there is why I don't go to a shop and play match. <laughs> yeah. It, I was like, some people have it? hundreds of dollars to spend buying the perfect cards, for their decks and other people don't. Oh, and, and by the way, I've been to like an actual tournament tournament, not at like a shop, but like an actual tournament. It gets way more cutthroat than that. I've seen decks that, that are like, I've seen decks too. that are like, that are like, I won on your turn. Yeah. <laughs> I watched somebody do that to Matt last night. Like one of the cards he had, uh, summons packs or something like that, whatever made yeah. like you had to discard all your creatures and all your green lands. And if you didn't have any green lands, you lost the game. Oh no, no. I mean, there's a deck where you can win on, you can win on your opponent's first turn they haven't even taken their first turn yet and you go play 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 i win that's crazy pants (laughs) again each of those cards to make that deck work is extremely expensive you have to get extremely lucky to get that hand and (laughs) i spent a hundred dollars building my soul sister deck i'm sure that was money very well spent but people have spent thousands of dollars to make decks yeah, the, the rookie numbers. You gotta crank those up. Exactly. Yeah, hundred dollars is one and a half Liliana's. Yeah. All right, Erica. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Bring up the next person. <laughs> All right. That was a fabulous nerdy thing, Erica. It by was the way. great. Go, yeah. Erica. Hey, Anthony, what was nerdy with you this week? Okay, guys. I'm gonna blow you away. I got the best story. This is amazing. All right. Two so, minutes. Leslie and I started playing Vampire the Masquerade um, with Mind's Eye Society. Think, think, um, Pathfinder Society, but for vampire. Okay. So last game, some things went down. There are some political issues. If I have time, I'll explain it. And um, the side I'm a part of. So there's all these different sects. Sects. S e c t s, not sex. Um, there's the Camarilla, which are basically they're um think the the think the uh, the main group. They're kind of I forgot what the term is. Not bureaucrats, but whatever. We're the Anarchs. They're kind of the ones that are like, down with the system, fight vampire oppression, vampire equality. So, after everything went down Saturday, we, as a group, our little gang, literally our gang, we're in a gang called the Watchdogs. 
we printed out and made our own newspaper to tell the whole story of what happened from our perspective. Basically, we made propaganda. Oh, LARPing. We all each got our own articles. We all wrote our own articles and literally made a two-page newspaper that we sent out to everyone. And we're like, and we're like, read this. Okay, because that's totally not a threat to the mask, right? No. <laughs> oh, okay. So of course, wait, have, of course not. Whoa, 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 whoa. Have you played LARP? Have you played the LARP or just the video game? Uh, no, I, I don't. You no, know, it's it's actually a pen and paper role playing game. The people that do LARPing take that one step further. <laughs> Okay, so no, it's not a breach of the masquerade because we sent it through the proper channels. Just like every every month, there's a harpy who sends out a harpy report, but it's sent through proper channels via like the dark web, um, and it's and it's generally posted up in Elysium, um, someplace where only the vampires can get a hold of it. So no, it's yeah. not a breach. But it's not a breach. Thought, the, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I already thought your nerdy thing was pretty nerdy. But I think your nerdy, your real nerdy thing is how you just totally schooled Brent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're I'm like, pretty sure the no, Ventru actually, aren't gonna, <laughs> even if it doesn't break Masquerade, I'm pretty sure the Ventru aren't going to like did, that. So Ventru's Requiem. Did you just vamp explain? Did you just vamp explain to um, Brent? You just vamp explain to him? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, right now I feel like erica playing magic right now of like oh, 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 oh. Damn. oh that's so accurate it was so, crazy yeah so do was, i have enough time to explain why we wrote this newspaper i mean no, that was keep, two minutes dude yeah yeah, yeah you, oh. you, you do not save it keep, for next time dude that was save it for fucking the nerdy. bonus episode anthony yeah yeah like because you could, we're gonna have one of those you just said a lot of words, but I'm going to go have sex with my hot husband. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. We made we made a uh, an an in character out of character newspaper. And next we have David. What was nerdy with you this week? Um, man, nothing that competes with any of that. Uh, I went <laughs> to the uh, my union had a uh, Christmas meet. Our meeting this month was for uh, we did Christmas raffles and giveaways. And uh, instead of the TV or the Xbox or the other cool stuff, there I want a fishing pole. <laughs> wow, you want a fishing pole? <laughs> yep. I've never been you fishing a, a day in my life. <laughs> You're larping mini games. This is fantastic. I love that. I want a fishing pole. Yep. <laughs> is it like a good finish, fishing pole? I don't know. I could yeah, tell you. Was... <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the things that I know absolutely nothing about. So I ended oh. up I ended up giving it away to one of the other brothers at the meeting who showed some interest in it. So... Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, um, yeah, it was funny. It's just like of all the things, my number gets called for like goddamn fishing pole. You know, you told me before we started that yours would be quick. And yes, <laughs> but you successfully fished for laughs in this podcast. Hey. <laughs> All right, Brian, it's you. Still you. Fishing now. All right. So I went to my company gift exchange as well, and we did a white elephant gift exchange where, but there were 60 of us with raffle tickets to call for gift exchange. The way the rules work is you go and pick up a present or you steal from someone who has already picked one. Well, somebody had picked Buns of Steel 3 on VHS. <laughs> That's amazing. A, oh, that wasn't all that was in the gift bag. Oh, my God. The best of Barry Manilow. Ooh. And 
a Bob Ross bobblehead. All right, the, the bobblehead's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I had to have all of this. So when my name came up, I stole this. I never was in danger of anyone stealing it back. <laughs> so on my desk at work, I have Buns of Steel 3 on VHS, the best of Barry Manilow. And the Bob Ross bobblehead came with a little miniature easel. That's and amazing. I set him up so he's right next to it. So he looks like he's in the show. He's a little smile on his face. And he has, and the easel has like flip photo, like actual paintings that Bob Ross did. So That's I awesome. can like change them every day. And um, when you push the little button on it, he says, let's paint the little happy trees. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. That's when, so awesome. When I looked at Buns of Steel 3, I was like, is this some kind of like... You thought it was a thing? porno, didn't you? I did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's an exercise video. <laughs> it was an office Christmas party, dude. Who the hell's going to put a porno video at an office Christmas party? I might. See, I never... <laughs> that explains so much. People take the office Christmas party so seriously. They literally, during the summer when there's yard sales, they buy crap and put it in a box. And then when it's time to do office Christmas party, they give the yard sale crap for their gift exchange. <laughs> and the thing that I got for the gift exchange, which was very popular and got stolen, was an Afghan throw shaped like a mermaid tail. Ooh, nice. That's pretty, that pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, the best Man, one. Man, the was, thing I got for the gift for my gift exchange, ours wasn't nearly as big. There was only like fifteen of us, but I got like a flask that says "I drink and I know things." Oh. So, yeah. it either they like Game of Thrones and they know, or they just have a flask because everybody on my team like is an alcoholic. So there was no way it was going to go wrong. Well, Erica took the rest of my time, so I can't share the the other thing I was going to say, but I will share that on the bonus episode, so patrons will be able to hear that. So we're on to voting. Yeah. And um, you have one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. Brent, you have six widgets. Who do you give them to and why? Uh, I'm giving uh, two widgets to Erica for experiencing true nerd culture. One of us. Right. One right. of us. Right. Yeah. Um, by being so disgusted with it, um, I will give uh, two widgets to Anthony. Um, wait, or is it Michael? Which one? Which one's the LARPer? Hi, Anthony. Anthony. Okay, so two to Anthony uh, for experiencing true nerd culture. Uh, I will give. Uh, Sorry, I gotta keep my child from screaming. Uh, one to Brian, and uh, because the mermaid tail. And then one to David for getting a. Um, uh, that was very you know diplomatic what? of you. Yeah, just for getting a, you know. Thank you. I just want to point out that Erica left to attend her child and didn't mute her microphone first. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bullshit! Brent's in my house. Oh. It's coming from his microphone. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, we're professionals. Yes. Erica, <laughs> yeah, no. I apologize. You did a good job. Erica, you have six widgets. Where do you put them? Um, I'm going to give all oh. my widgets to Brent because I love puns. The end. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> that whoa. Was, that was intense. <laughs> the baby is with her. <laughs> yes. Anthony, six widgets. Um, I mean, where, why, and how? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, I'm going to do the terrible thing. I'm giving five to myself because that was just nerdy as hell. And it wasn't just me. 
my friends are a part of it. So I feel we will we will win this together. Okay. So I gotta I gotta bring the trophy home for them. I'll give one to Erica because yeah, that's um that's nerd culture for sure. I I, I I've been there. Yeah. David. Yes, sir. You have six widgets. Oh right. Um. <sighs> I hate to do it, but I have to give three of them to uh, Anthony because that is fucking nerdy, dude. You don't yeah. hate to do it. You love me. <laughs> and, then I, and, I, and then I give the other three to Erica because welcome to magic. <laughs> Evil laugh. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am going to give all six of my widgets to Brent for his hysterical puns. <laughs> well, I'm very, I'm very moved by that. <laughs> okay so i actually have to count these because i think there's more widgets on people than we usually have so one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve one two three four five six seven eight nine ten brent you win with 12 widgets to anthony's 10 oh that's not this bullshit bullshit i demand a recount <laughs> well, if two people would like to give Brent negative widgets, but I'm not so inclined to do that. I mean, I feel like the this only feeds into the Anarch story of having more of just being oppressed. So there, he should just get some mad two magic widgets that appear. There are obviously <laughs> three million three million illegals voting in this election. <laughs> Anthony, what? We're not supposed to be political. He's talking about the politics of vampire. Sure, why not? I know. Sure, that works. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm like illegal vampire. I, I actually thought that's what he was doing. So well, I'm just well, going to not assume what that. he was doing. Well, well, we we were accused of being illegal vampires where we were living. That's kind of yeah. that's kind of yeah. that's yeah. a newspaper. Yeah, that is a very legit thing of like, oh, your your sire didn't get permission. Uh, you are very illegal. Okay. Yeah, or you're squatting, or yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. The five of us, I'm going to include Michael, even though he's not here, um, are on a comedy podcast. Nerd Podcast Radio is generally a comedy podcast. We laugh a lot, so we consider it funny. Other people have told us it's funny, so we think it's funny. But none of us are comedians. We don't know anything about funny from funny. So um, Brent has been on several times, and he is a professional stand-up comedian. I don't know why I put that in air quotes, because nobody can see it, even though... (laughs) But they felt it. It was a, it was heavily implied. And you are a professional. I don't know why I put it in air quotes for either, because I guess I'm just used to doing that. I feel like you need it, air quotes belong somewhere. It's either in professional comedian or professional comedian. Or just professional uh, <laughs> comedian. <laughs> um, so Brent has come up with this massive outline on comedy. So I'm just going to hand the reins over to him and he's going to talk to us about comedy. We're going to chime in while we can. We're going to learn something today about how do you be funny? What's the science of it? Brent, it's all yours. All right. So it's, uh, it's honestly fairly easy once you um, understand the component parts of it. So uh, the current working theory is the benign violation theory, and it is a culmination of Centuries and centuries of research. Um, it's started with Aristotle, who hated comedy because it um, it was a form of elevation. So one of the first components of any joke is that there has to be a victim. Um, 
someone has to be experiencing some sort of of physical or uh, mental or emotional pain in order for us to feel elevated and superior to that situation. All right, gotta be like there's gotta be like a joke. When when I tell when I tell Michael to shut the fuck up, or when Brian tells me that I'm short, or sends me funny jokes like via text message teasing me about how short I am for no oh, reason. Oh, like when I texted her and said I'm not going to make fun of her for being short anymore because I'm above that now. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, as long as there's, yeah, so there's always a victim in a joke um, and it's always derived from like I said, some sort of pain. So starting with like the physical pain, uh, so when you get injured, uh, the same endorphins that are released when you laugh are the endorphins that your brain releases when you're hurt because that uh, helps with the healing process. So when we see other people get hurt, um, we, we empathize, we recognize uh, the pain, the physical pain that they are in. And then we laugh. So that is why someone getting hit in the nuts is hilarious. Schadenfreude. Yes. I know that. Yep. Oh, those crafty Germans. Yes. Um, the uh, the next part, uh, as far as like a, a mental pain or emotional pain, um, is we'll start with Freud. So Freud was very um, so much like uh, with the the pain release and the he was focused on like taboos and things that we couldn't laugh about. So like the tensions that were built up that um, you know we live every day in society and we're supposed to act a certain way and say a certain thing. So that tension builds up and then uh, jokes act as a way to release that tension. Uh, another thing that he pointed out is that the brain is a pattern making machine. And anytime that you disrupt that pattern, uh, your brain experiences uh, a, a mental anguish. And again, because you're in pain, the endorphins, from laughter flow, and that is why we laugh. It is because we're trying to to fix the bugs in our system. Uh, wow. Yeah, that is uh, further expanded upon by uh, by Immanuel Kant, in that the way that these bugs exist, uh, the way the patterns are broken, is when you expect one thing and then are given another, that's where that mental anguish comes from. So the bigger disparity between what is expected and what is given the bigger the laughs. Ooh, ooh, I have a, I have a new thing to bring up right now. You guys will love this. Right now, Leslie's sitting on the bed, and she's tickling the baby and making him laugh and smile. <laughs> That's all. Aww. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so quite literally, this is like, uh, when you hear the rule of three, that's literally what it is. Is um, you, you establish something, you see it again, but make it you know slightly more exaggerated, but similar. And then on the third instance, you go in the complete opposite direction, and that will always be funny. So it's like I'm going to give an example, and then I give the example again and exaggerate it, and then I'm going to reverse the expectation. Yes. And since it surprises the person, they laugh. Yes. That that sounds a little flawed because that doesn't always work. Um. At, yeah, that's start with hmm. the, that. Start with the base. That is at the at the root. That okay. works like ninety nine percent of the time. There are some variations off of that, but you know that uh, one of the improv short form games that we do, where um, it's either like should have said or ding or something like that, uh, someone will uh, 
you'll be in the scene and someone says something and then they will like ring a bell and then you have to change the thing you said. So it would be, uh, let's say we're all in the kitchen and I'm cooking and I, I'm like, okay, pancakes are almost done. Can you hand me the spatula? Ding. Pancakes are almost done. Can you hand me the fork? Ding. Pancakes are almost done. Can you hand me the baby? <laughs> <laughs> that does work. The rule of three. Okay. Yeah, that's all That's all it is. Um, so, yeah, you start, start with that. That is the base, is uh, create an expectation and then subvert it. And that is that is a joke. Yeah, I can't. I it, it's it, that's funny how that works because just looking at that at, at face value, it doesn't seem like it would be funny. Isn't that like what what puns are? Like you're expecting one thing, and then you get something else. Yes. So that's where uh, Freud um, started to break down the different kinds of jokes. Um, and puns, uh, puns and wordplay are one aspect of it. It's where it creates uh, some of that mental anguish. Um, the the big thing that I take away from this, and probably the biggest thing that like any of your your gamers could really like glean from this, is the uh, is the benign violation theory. So we know that there has to be a victim in this. They ha- someone has to experience some sort of like physical or mental anguish. Um, but we also need to feel separated from that victim so that we can feel that elevation. So, uh, what Peter DeGraw basically says is, um, as long as we find the violation, like whatever the pain, uh, doesn't affect us, then we can laugh at it. So that is where, um, a lot of people will, will struggle. Um, so we laugh at, Brian calling Erica short because we are not Erica and Erica has been able to compartmentalize her shortness to where that is not a pain point for her. So she can laugh at that Um, where some of the, you know, without wandering into uh, other territories uh, where someone like, uh, like a Lisa Lampanelli um, cannot uh, and Don Rickles aren't necessarily a lot of people's cup of tea um, because they do lean on a lot of stereotypes uh, and very quick, uh, harmful observations about people. Um, and it's not about that one particular person sitting in the audience. It's about all of the people that are within their demographic. And so it may not necessarily be funny to other people within that demographic because they are being pulled into bad attack um and it may not necessarily be funny to people not of that demographic but people who are again not who don't view the attack as being against that one person but as being again to other people that they know and that they love and they care about that fall within that Hmm. Uh, i um it, it made me think about my my jokes to erica because she's short how i text her randomly and send her jokes and she always responds by responding with tall jokes that I think are really funny. And it made me think, um, Erica, you have a friend who's even much taller than me. And I think his name is Wes. And he's he's uh-huh. ridiculously tall. And he doesn't he doesn't make fun of you for being short. And you know why I think that is? Because he's really tall. Because he's, he's the bigger person. man. He's the bigger oh. man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, 
See, you only <laughs> assume he's the bigger man because of how tall he is. Nobody's seen how big my dick is, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and see, and there you go. That's subverting the premise. <laughs> so, uh, one good example that I like uh, of like a joke that will kind of like skirt right on that edge um, is from uh, one of my good friends, uh, DJ Dangler. You can follow him at DJ is Handsome, and he has a joke about. My girlfriend sneezed in my face and called it an Eskimo blowjob. And I was like, I'm not cool with that. (laughs) (laughs) So the way the way that works is if he had said that he sneezed, uh, if he sneezed on someone and called it an Eskimo blowjob, the the Eskimo blowjob thing is kind of like on that edge of like rape racial humor and because the joke is structured where he said it he's the aggressor and if you are not comfortable with you know the term eskimo or or you know playing into like attributing that that racial tone with it uh the victim which is the person getting sneezed on you you empathize with their situation and you're not really feeling any sympathy towards the aggressor which is you know the, the guy doing the sneeze so while that joke can be funny it's actually not as good as the way that i told it because now his girlfriend is the one who sneezed and his girlfriend made the racial joke so if you're not comfortable with it that's fine you're mad at this um, imaginary Third person who's not even there. The victim is DJ who got sneezed on. He said that he's not cool with that. Now, whether he's not cool with uh, the the name of the sneeze or being sneezed on or both. He's oh, I just thought it because it was an Eskimo. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that, that is was part why of the joke. I laughed too. I thought it was because it, it was cool because it was an Eskimo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I mean, either way, however you want to take from it, the the aggressor in all of that is some person that's not in this conversation. You know, it's, it's between DJ and the audience. DJ made himself the victim, uh, in this from, from the sneeze and from, you know, hearing the, the Eskimo part of things. He said, he's not cool with it. We're on the same page of DJ's the victim. And we're putting all of our, all of our angst and tension at this person. That's not even in the room right now. Wow, that really does combine all three. So it's a good way to tell an inappropriate joke where nobody will get mad at you. <laughs> it's to say somebody else said it. Yes. Yeah. You're, sh- you're but- shifting the the blame, essentially. Whoever could be upset or mad about it is going to shift it from you to this person that's not there. That way you get to tell the joke. It's kind of funny or really funny, depending on who the audience is. But but whoever is telling it doesn't, isn't the bad guy. Correct. Yep. That is, that is one of the most difficult things to try and compartmentalize is, is how you structure things to where you can, you yourself can say whatever you want on stage, as long as the horrible parts are not things that you did. (laughs) Okay. So is that why I cannot remember his name? There's this comedian that I've seen. There's a thousand of them, I know. But he is, like, really raunchy and, like, 
says horrible, horrible things. And the first time I saw him, it wasn't really funny. But then, like, the second time I saw him, like, I think I knew what to expect. And so I was able to, like, compartmentalize and, like, distance myself from it so it became funnier. Yes. So, yeah, that is that is part of it, too, is um, being able to um, set those patterns up um, that I talked about with Freud and, and setting those expectations um, so that, you know, the first time you didn't know what to expect and he was just doing his thing. And then as you spend more time knowing that person, then you understand what where they're coming from, what their baseline is, how they are going to how they're going to do their jokes, how they're you know what they're going to give you so that then you can kind of distance yourself from that. So I got a question for you, Brent. Yes. Um, how come some people are just funny without knowing all this stuff? And some people have to work hard to be funny. Um, there is some biology that, uh, that comes into play, uh, because like I said, um, the endorphins released from pain are the same that, you know, that help you heal are the same that come from laughter. Um, so some people is just... Is this a eugenics joke? No. Okay. I thought he's I not making a joke. Ahead. He's teaching us. <laughs> I know, but he's like, well, there's some biology behind it. And immediately I was like, is this where he says we're genetically superior because we're funny? Uh, theoretically, yes. Uh, there is that... <laughs> that could be argued. That, uh, that could be argued, yes. Um, because they have certainly found that that kind of socialization does has helped with, um, you know, mating processes, uh, and longevity and, you know, healing capabilities. So yeah, you could make the argument that we are genetically superior because we can laugh and make jokes. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so at its root, there is that, that existence. And, and there are, you know, some people's genetics do inhibit, uh, comedy from happening. Um, I know, the further you get on the autistic spectrum, the the less comedy works because the reaction that stems from autism, from having a pattern broken, is much angrier, more harmful than what is than from laughter. Um, I think that's just so, a that's just a genetic thing that you know. Yeah, so like it, it, the, because people that have autism. Um, like they they rely on those patterns. Yes. And when those patterns are broken, um, like we're for us, it's just like a, a social release. Uh, like you were saying, like you know all that pent up social anxiety or whatever. Like we're just like ha 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 ha. But for somebody who relies on those patterns on their day to day life, I mean, it's not just a ha ha ha. I mean, it, it almost wounds them. Yes. Yeah. It, it's the way that they. Like I said, it is it is a mental anguish. It is pain. It is harmful, and it's just the way that genetically our bodies are built to react to that kind of mental anguish. And for them, they just don't process the endorphins or get them released the same way that people who aren't. It that's just how it is. Like I I know it sounds horrible, but and I don't mean it to sound you know disparaging. So I, I'm I'm understanding though. Are you saying that too much comedy could be bad for you? Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> um, there is a there is a working theory. I had it, and then it turns out um, I think I think Miller chased it in the Joker, 
uh, because the endorphins um, that are released um, do present a high. Um, I had a, a working theory that the Joker was actually a drug addict um, addicted to his own endorphins and that uh, his scaling behavior of the pain that he inflicted on other people, he empathized in that and that caused laughter and then Batman would come in and beat him up, which would be more pain, which would cause more endorphins. And so to chase the high, it gets to the point where he has to beat Jason Todd with a crowbar uh, so that he can then have Batman uh, break his neck in the killing joke. And that is the ultimate um, journey of the drug addict that is the Joker. Um, that is a nice theory about the killing. Geez, about that's the pretty joke. cool. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, the other thing I was going to bring up, so you, you were talking about the genetic component, but um, I, I mean, with pretty much everything, you know, there's there's a combination of genetics, but I also think there's a combination of, you know, your upbringing. And I've noticed a lot of people who are really good at comedy, they tend to come from kind of like really tough um, backgrounds and like really shitty childhoods. And I think a lot of it is when, when you are born and raised in a really bad situation, you learn to laugh at the tough things, which makes it easier for you to tell jokes later. Yes. Uh, yes. The, it's uh, I can't really say it's it's documented. I mean, there are yeah, documentaries like, and interviews and things theorizing like that. Here. It, yeah, but uh, it's kind of accepted within the comedy community that the if you had to you know build the perfect comedian, uh, it would be a black lesbian. <laughs> Isn't that Wanda Sykes? Yeah, uh, yeah, Mom's she's Mabel. really funny. Uh, it's also Mom's Mabley back in the '60s. Um, there's been a, you know a few, um, but really a lot of the when they look at you know like cishet straight white males. From a you know commercial standpoint, you know tend to be more successful, but the the real um, iconic, the the best craftspeople, the most influential people, do have some sort of, of minority status associated with them. Like Richard. Well, Pryor. I don't know. I don't know if I can agree with that a hundred percent because I've had a shit ton of bad stuff happen to me, and I'm not remotely funny. I disagree. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> I I cannot tell a joke to like like I'll hear a joke and As, I will try to retell that joke and it it's fucking horrible every single time. Yeah, All right, so Brent, explain that. <laughs> well, I I will, I'd like you to explain that scientifically because she's saying she can't tell jokes. That doesn't make her not funny because you can't tell jokes. Jokes are a entire thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, just because you don't know how to like recreate that uh, because you can't i guess mechanize if that's the right word um because you can't perform it doesn't mean that you're not funny um because you at least you're definitely funny in the moment and the way that you uh recognize situations and the way that you handle and react to them is very funny and that is um that is kind of harder to teach um, that kind of goes back to just being able to instinctually recognize what how a situation is going and then providing the opposite to it. Um, like I think you can be a very great um, I think you can be a very great actress. Um, I have seen you portray characters in real life situations um, and carry bluffs and lies through uh, <laughs> through things. <laughs> I don't know that I would necessarily cast you in a movie. Um, where you are thinking about 
how you need to act and how but no in situations where you've needed to be a particular person in order to get a desired outcome you fucking nailed it (laughs) i also think you're witty and you're quick to respond to things and you're 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 a master at the insult oh that's so nice of you (laughs) i just love sarcasm i feel like sarcasm's like that's the thing that I understand. If we're talking about funny, it's like the only thing that I feel like I understand. Because like regular jokes, because we're talking about different types of jokes, right? I mean, there, there's tons of different types of jokes. Like, so when like, like you're talking about like that situational, like the Eskimo joke. Like if I tried to tell that joke, like it would, it would just, I don't, I don't know if it's the timing or what, like I can never fucking tell jokes. But if somebody's doing something and it's just obviously, you know, an obtuse type of thing that they're doing, I can crack a sarcastic comment like like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, like so it's like it's almost like that's the only type of joke that that I can do. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's that's perfectly fine because it is, while there are several different kinds of jokes and several different ways to convey humor, um, it is very difficult to find people who are capable of writing very different kinds of jokes. Um, and do we want to, yeah, I feel like yeah. I want to transition into some of the different yeah, that, types. That, I was yeah. giving you the transition. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yo, yeah. Erica's a master at that. That's another nice thing about Erica. She's really good at transitions. So, um, so <laughs> that is something there of, while this isn't necessarily funny, it, does tie into uh, at least the science behind recognizing how to tell jokes. Like she picked up on the pattern of what was going on here and saw where we were going, where we're circling around and was able to adapt to that situation to then, well, let me give you the segue into. So like, even though this isn't a joke, that kind of awareness and that whole, like, I don't know how to tell that awareness is how, it's instinctive, and then that's just something where, like, the benign violation theory and and Freud and Aristotle, that's when the nerds who can't do it have to teach themselves to, <laughs> the mental gymnastics to be able to do it. So while Erica didn't write a joke here, she's at least practicing some of the components of recognizing the situation and, and helping to transform that situation, which is needed for comedy. Wow, any way this, this show ends today, I'm going to feel really good about myself. <laughs> it, it's okay, you're still short. Well, no, duh. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's not changing. I gave up on that in, like, fifth grade. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, so starting with, um, you know, Erica's uh, preferred method of humor, sarcasm, um, I grouped that under irony. Um, that is, you know, just where you say one thing and mean the opposite of it. Um and this is one where I think we all know how to be ironic and how we all say things ironically um, and how you can like incorporate that into your game of, um, you know, when the, the, uh, the orphans, the, uh, the street urchins walk up to you and there's like 20 of you and, uh, and they're like, Oh, please, sir, please. Uh, I'd like to shine your shoes and I'd like to, uh, eat today and I can give you a guide to the city and I will just pick your pocket because I don't have any useful skills. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was that three. That, that's what you were expecting. Wow. I got right. it. That was that three thing. It was uh, 
the doing a service to get money, a different service to get money, and then the the actual premise of what was happening. So yeah, I caught on. I got it. Yep. So yeah, so that's how you can you know kind of like throw things like that into your game. Um, you know, with irony, uh, again, saying something that you don't mean. Um, you have to be very very careful on this. Um, it helps when you're you know running tables for for your friends and you all know each other um you all know the difference between your characters and yourselves and how now, you stand now on just things. to throw in a little a little context i want to say that you're talking about tabletop role-playing games yes okay yeah um well i guess this honestly this could apply in every situation um you know so if you're on if you're you know online and playing um you know, playing uh online with people like that uh would when you're in front of a bunch of people that you don't know and you're just saying things they people have to know that that's not what you mean um, yeah like like when i say something really mean i'm not really a mean person and my friends know that so when i make a mean comment they can laugh about it because they know that's not really who i am because it, it's a i'm obviously telling a joke but somebody that doesn't know me wouldn't know the difference. They would just assume I'm a bitch. Right. Yeah. And that's where you see so many. Um, I know this isn't supposed to be political, but this is just what happens in real life is when a celebrity or a politician says something and then people are offended by it. And then it comes back. Well, that was a joke. OK, it may have been irony, but you did not do anything to establish the fact that that's not actually how you feel. Uh, or your audience isn't familiar with you enough to know that that's not how you feel. Um, and so it's the humor is lost on them. So, so that's kind that of must like... really be annoying for you, right? To see like to see people do that, like they say something offensive and then was like, why the hell would you say that? And you're like, oh, I was just telling a joke. Like that must be really annoying. Yeah. So there was there was one time where I I leaned into that, um, you know, that. Yeah. Oh, I was just kidding. Uh, where I was doing a roast and like for the most part, the roast was in jest, but there was one person that I legitimately despised. Um, and there was a, a, a tonal shift in the things that I was saying. And, uh, and I, I said, oh, yeah, well, I guess here's a joke. This guy's a little bitch. LOL. <laughs> I mean, if it's a roast, I would see that as amusing. Yeah. But at, at the way that I was delivering that is I was saying all those things and it was – I actually meant them. I wasn't being ironic about it. But then because I said LOL at the end, no, I was being ironic. It's a joke. See, I oh. said LOL. I'm like, but did you? Did you really mean it as a joke? I didn't mean it as a joke. <laughs> so, so that's kind of like when we're talking about celebrities that say things that could be – you know, offensive or seen as offensive. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the people that that strike me the most that says a lot of shit that could definitely be seen as offensive, but I don't think anybody ever takes them seriously is Ryan Reynolds. Yes, and it's almost like he's established this premise, like that's his that's his public persona. And it allows him to get away. Some of the stuff he he says, which I honestly think he, he's hysterical. Um, some of the things he says, if somebody else, like The Rock, said, or one of the other, you know, more serious celebrities, 
Right. I feel like they would be like fucking crucified over it. Yes. So uh, like Ryan Reynolds has, so he's helped build that up enough to where um, if we look at Deadpool, for example, um, he shot Deadpool in the head from Wolverine origins and he, you know, uh, shot uh, green lantern in, uh, in the head. And then he shoots himself in the head of like, you know, yeah, that, that was good. He reminds you that he was in two, uh, Van Wilder. He reminds you that he was in two guys girl in a pizza place. He acknowledges that he has his own things that he has done and screwed up, and he's made himself enough of a victim to help establish that when he goes after someone else, this is all in jest. He's created this persona of, ha ha, I'm a funny guy. So, yeah, some of the things he, he has put out, I'm like, oof, Ryan, you got balls. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them in Deadpool, but, oh, you've got... Um, <laughs> But yeah, if you if you took that quote and copy and pasted it and put it from like Kellyanne Conway's Twitter, that would be a news story. And, you know, she should resign. And and how can she possibly say that in the public eye and blah, 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 because Kellyanne Conway is not a comedian. She's not doing things to establish herself as this is not how I think and feel and and whatever. Well, then you have people who are comedians who you like Roseanne Barr who mm-hmm. said something awful and then went back later and said, I was joking and then went back again and said, I was on Ambien. So the Ambien thing is a little com does make it a little complex because the Ambien it Ambien is a legit thing. Um, going back to that, Roseanne has said and done some racist things in the past. Um, she's, she's, she was a toxic personality before that came out. Um, so she's had a history of it. So it's one of those things of, is it just, were you being racist again? Or was it really the ambient? Basically? Right. And yeah, because of her past, nobody can tell, nobody can really tell. Right. And then on top she of, doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. Right. And then on top of that, the joke just wasn't funny. Uh, you know, it was whether or not, you know, someone, is african-american or not the fact that you're you know calling them monkey arms like i don't i don't understand what is funny about monkey arms to where you would say that especially knowing that that comparing a person to a primate does have a a negative history attached to it well it literally only works as a racist joke actually right like that's the only way it could work any other way, it wouldn't even work. It's only can't. It can only be perceived as funny if you admit that it's a racist joke. That is the absolute only way it could be seen as funny. Right, and that and that goes back to the the structuring of it. Of she said, she said, you know, I think it looks like she has monkey arms. Uh, I mean, that wasn't the exact thing, but uh, the gist of it is, I said she has monkey arms. Well, here's this victim. Uh, is you know this African American woman who's just been a victim of racism? Uh, African Americans don't find that funny. Those of us with African American friends who uh, don't like that joke sympathize with the victim. So there was no way to diffuse that hostility away from Roseanne. So yeah, all of our anger is on her. Now if she had written something else on, my friend says she has monkey arms, and that just drives me bananas. Then we can we can join up with Roseanne in the 
holy fuck, why would you say that? That is horrible. And we can join Roseanne in our disdain against this imaginary third person that just made a racist comment. Instead, Roseanne was racist, and now everyone's mad that Roseanne's racist. Mm. Joke or not. That was a nice analysis of that. Yeah. So, you talked about irony. Let's move on to the next one on the list. Uh, yeah, so character jokes. Uh, you know, pointing out characters' traits in others. Um, so an example I have here is uh, uh, mom, think- yeah. uh, mom thinks you'd enjoy restaurants you can't remember name of right now. Yeah. Um, so that's, again, kind of going back to it, you're going to play on stereotypes and you're going to do a kind of like recognition for people. Um, you just kind of really make sure that that violation is benign. So, uh, you know, if you... If you are leaning into like Jewish people with money, if you're like, oh, this Jew really likes money, yeah, that's not gonna that's gonna offend a lot of people. That's not gonna be very funny. You probably shouldn't say that kind of shit because of the harm that has come throughout history with associating that group of people with that stereotype. You just shouldn't be saying and doing those sort of things. But joking about how moms are forgetful or don't have or are not explaining things doesn't really harm anybody. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, should I not make fun of Matt for his Jew fro? <sighs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen his hair when he doesn't get a haircut? It's crazy pants. I mean, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen it that way. Oh my God. It's so floofy. So floofy. He could like comb it out and it was like, like, He's like a Q-tip. It's crazy. I think it would be better to just call his hair floofy because that's a funny word. That is really yeah, funny. That, that is. is good. So like but an example, he's the one that he called it his Jufro, so I've just always thought of it that way. Oh, uh, so here is so since we're on the on the topic of uh, Jewish people, there is something. Uh, I, it's not on the list here, um, but this is a good time to put it in. Uh, so gallows humor. Um, is anything like really, really dark and sad and depressing. And it's, it's usually, uh, again, um, going back to laughter stems from pain and, and mental anguish. And sometimes the, the way that you deal with such a, a crushing, uh, horrific event in your life is to laugh at it. Ooh, I and, did that. <laughs> uh, what was, what was your thing? Um, well, this is going to get really depressing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. It, you should really share this if you want so to. strap in, people. All right. Uh, okay. well, my first son passed away. Yeah, me and my ex, we oh. had a stillborn. Uh, our, our first son was stillborn. And I waited all of, I think, 30 minutes before making a joke about it. Okay. But, so... I'm a little surprised it took that long. <laughs> I'm... I'm as a mother, I'm not even sure that would ever be appropriate. Well, he was the one who made the joke because he was the one who was in pain and he was diffusing that pain. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. He didn't do it to cause harm to other people. He did it to relieve his own pain. Yeah. Well, yeah, that I, I, it, it's sort, but it's, it's also not the joke you, you know, you don't do that in public. You do that to relieve the pain of the situation. Yeah. So, yeah. From a societal standpoint, um, no, that's not funny. From a uh, 
from a biological standpoint, like that is how you had a lot of mental anguish going on. And so your brain was trying to help you heal and releasing those endorphins and making those jokes. Mm-hmm. Like biologically, that is appropriate. Um, that that's not unusual to do. I know society tells us otherwise. You can come and, in, Zoe. And it's one thing where like oh, you, okay. you can make that joke. Um, but if even if I felt comfortable enough to make jokes about your dead child, no one should be laughing at that. Like maybe oh, you, but that's, but that, you know, Probably. even yeah. then you should probably be mad. Cause that's not my, <laughs> that's, you weren't going through the pain. Yes. That is just me strictly elevating uh, my superiority over you. That is uh, the kind of stuff that Aristotle hated in comedy. That is just me pointing out your hardship and making myself feel better because I don't have your hardship. Oh, see, Um, that makes sense about something. Okay, so like, example, Michael and Katie were there. They were like very supportive. And um, Michael has in the past made a couple jokes about the fact that I lost my son, but I didn't get mad at him. I actually laughed. But there were other people who tried to make jokes, and I was just like, not funny. So I'm wondering if it's because he was there and he felt the pain with me, and it hurt him. Maybe not as badly, but it hurt him like a lot too. Um, so yes, and this is um, this is why the Jews are allowed to have a lot of gallows humor, is because they. It's why Mel Brooks is allowed to portray Hitler, and no one else can. Uh, because they went through the Holocaust, and so they get to make those jokes. And that is how uh, – and several Jewish comedians will tell you that that is you know, how they deal. That's how they take the power away from the people who rounded them up and slaughtered them by, by pointing out their idiocy and by laughing at them. That is how they strip the power away from them and, and gain a little bit more control of their lives. Um, so you will see a lot of, of Jewish people making Holocaust jokes and then getting upset at other people because they didn't necessarily go through it. They don't have I'm, the same same pain to have to try and deal with. I'm amazed at how much ethics we're talking about. We're, we, I'm you know, not. We came in talking about being funny and then it, it turns into an ethical conversation. It's, it's really interesting to me. Um, I mean, that's what a lot of – until we start getting into the wordplay uh, portion of this, that is really – how comedy works is understanding your audience and to tell you like, and it changes every single day, every single day. I mean, if you look at uh, comedians from the eighties um, and Eddie Murphy's raw, which w- pro- propelled him, his career and opened so many doors for him. But then that's the it, one where he talks about like abuse as a child. Right. Um, I think there's that there's definitely a lot of, uh, Talking about how he doesn't even want to be in the same room as gay people because he doesn't want to get AIDS. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the ethics and the appropriate, yeah. Jokes, you know, what is funny changes over time. So that's, if that's the biggest thing you can get out of, like, this portion of it is understanding your audience and understanding what counts as a comedic trigger and what counts as what's going to cause pain and how you take the edge off of that pain. So So for me, so for me, because I mean, let's talk about like the only, I didn't remember anything about him, you know, about talking about gay people when I saw that, that 
what I connected to is when he was talking about like the abuse that he received as a child, because that was something that I could relate to. So that was something that allowed me to laugh and let go of the pain. Yeah. So, and, okay. and that's, yeah, that's good. That's good there. Um, I'm just saying like, if you look at some of the other things, they don't like the, the abuse part stands up over time. And that is the, that is the hardest part is trying to find a joke that does stand up and withstand the test of time. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not, I, I guess what I was trying to say there is yeah. I'm not saying he never said, I mean, he obviously did say, say things mm. like that, but because I'm not gay and that's something that I don't relate to on a personal level, that wasn't something that stood out to me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Or it was just a really long time ago and you don't remember. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, well, if it's not something that um, she relates to, then, you know, it wouldn't stick out to her. It wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it wasn't targeted at her or, you know, so it just wasn't that, that big of a deal. Yeah, and I probably, I mean, knowing me, I'm sure I didn't find it particularly funny, but I also didn't find it particularly offensive to me individually. Mm -hmm. So we got about 10 minutes left for the rest. Sorry. Gotcha. Oh, no worries. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we'll tie this up real quick. So, uh, yeah, if you're, you can say as much dark like horrific material as you want again you've got to take the edge off and and try to make it to where it's just not um where you're not hurting anyone that in the audience and you're not hurting anyone that the audience can relate to um this uh i'm gonna borrow uh a joke from uh into the spider-verse um, spider, uh, one of the Spider-Men has gone through a divorce and he's very sad and he is saying like, did you know that seahorses mate for life? Can you imagine meeting someone and just making it work? And I laughed way too hard at that because I know like here he is going through a divorce and the simplest thing of like, oh, can you just imagine having a nice relationship with somebody? Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. I get it. Um, so, uh, oh, so going back to, let's go to. Um, now I feel really bad for Spider-Man. You should. He's a, in a real sad spot in that movie, yeah. but it works out, and it's. But I, again, I laughed way too hard at that because I, I started to empathize with that pain, mm -hmm. and then my biology kicked in. It's like, oh, this hurts. Time to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So really, comedy is almost like it's almost like like putting band aids on. Like you pick the scab and then you put the band aid on it. Yes. Yep. Um, so let's see here. Uh, so misdirection is a is an easy one to do uh, where you shift the focus away from the main topic that you're talking about. Uh, a uh, one of my favorite. So if you look at Wendy Liebman or Anthony Jeselnik, that is pretty much their entire routine is i like um, anthony jeselnik he's, yeah. right, he's funny um he's funny after 40 minutes i don't find no him as funny. I, I i agree entirely he gets it gets old <laughs> um and it's and it's because it goes back to the, the pattern making aspect of it of each joke on its own is a good joke but when after 30 minutes of i'll say a sentence i've got a follow-up sentence then the punchline 
after yeah. 30 minutes, you already are anticipating that he's going to throw a punchline. He's going to say two sentences, and then you're anticipating a third sentence. And so it loses a lot of its impact. Yeah. Um, so, so okay. So why I find people that are telling stories hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like this, like, like the, it's like, you know, they're, they're telling a story and throughout the story, you know, it's, they have jokes within the story. And like, it, mm-hmm. it just, is that irony? Is that why, I mean, would that fall under irony? Um, no, um, it will, each little joke that they're peppering within that story is going to be one of these kinds of, uh, like a misdirection of reference, um, uh, a hyperbole. Um, they're going to pepper in different kinds of little jokes until they actually get to the what actually happens in the story. So they're helping to build the expectation uh, so that they can deliver the twist at the end. The problem is with the time that it's going to take to build all that expectation, your audience is going to get bored. So you're going to have to string them along a little bit to help keep their, their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so family guy does a lot of the, uh, um, so I'm going to go out and do this thing. And it's like that time that the teenage mutant ninja turtles, uh, did this thing. And then it cuts to the thing and then it goes back to their story. So if you take all those, like, it's like this time that this, and it, that reminds me of a time that I, if you take all those out, that is essentially the story that he's telling. Well, I mean, I've literally seen comedians where it was like their whole act for like a half hour was literally just like the one story, but there was like a bunch of jokes in between that one story. And by the end of their, by the end of their set, they're like, that was the story. And then you have comedians like Mitch Hedberg, where it's just joke, 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 joke. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, Oh, by the way, I remembered the name of that comedian. I was telling you that like was saying all those offensive things. Okay. Doug. Stan Hope. Oh, oh Stan Hope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, He's funny for a little while, but then it gets really old. <laughs> yeah. Man, Stan Hope. Is that, is that like shock humor? Is that his thing? So part part of it is shock humor. I mean, he opened up one of his, one of his specials with a joke about child pornography. <laughs> yeah. Stan Hope is a whole separate episode and a whole separate character study. Oh, into okay. The, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he's he's a come that is one where so because he's been doing it for so long he has built his his audience that comes to see him is who he is coming to tell and they already know the kind of shit that he's going to throw out and be invested in it um a honestly a, this is going to sound crazy as hell a good parallel to doug stanhope is kathy griffin in that a lot of kathy griffin's jokes are very referential based and she's talking about her life and what happened when she was on this thing and what she was here and the the drama that she causes and if she goes and she plays to her audience the people who follow her and the people who are invested in her the people who remember her time that she was on the view and she did this thing and here's what really happened backstage and blah 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 so i don't find her funny because i'm not invested in her and i'm not going to go see her so she's not going to go tell jokes to me. Yeah, I don't find her funny either. Yeah, so Stan Hope is kind of the same way. Of He's built his audience. They're, the people are going to see him. He's telling his jokes to them, and they're having that fun time. Yeah, I'd like to preface, nobody, nobody like, prepped me for that Yeah. before I went. Yeah, same and here. It was, yeah. It was, 
it was very jolting. <laughs> so I guess it kind of goes back to from the very beginning of if you're, you know, when you're running your games, know your audience and make sure that you, you know, that you understand whether you're running your game or, or whatever your situation is. You know, if you're going to a convention, it's very difficult to be comedic at a convention because you get everyone there and, yep. and there are jokes, you know, that you, um, there are jokes that I make. Uh, I'm very reference heavy, very parody based. Uh, and I rely on you to know something so that I can then take that thing. You already know uh, what I'm talking about and how it's supposed to go so that then I can change it up on you and then create humor from subverting that expectation. But not everyone. Say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not everyone has my frame of reference uh, and doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so a lot of those jokes get lost. Um, I, I don't lean into a lot of the um, uh, racial and stereotypical things um, in a manner that is that is harmful to where people are going to just up and leave my table because of, you know, well, I said it ironically. Well, you sounded like an asshole when you said it, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I know I don't have that, that establishment, um, with people. You're not Ryan Reynolds. Right. Yes. God, I wish it was Ryan Reynolds or, um, um who doesn't or, or Tosh, <laughs> Daniel Tosh. I mean, that, that's his, that's his thing. That's his stick. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. going to tell the most inappropriate, terrible thing, but nobody knows he's serious, or everybody knows he's not serious. Yep, um, I can do. You can do hyperbole very easily, um, uh, and that's you know a, a fun. That's kind of a fun thing. Uh, um, just go with your two extremes. Um, so if someone is saying like, um, how many, yeah, how how many arrows can I fit in my quiver? All the arrows. Every arrow, um, even though it's not actual, you can't. And you can you can take that to the rules of threes, where you could do three exaggerations. Yes, um, yeah. So you can like uh, all the arrows. You can uh, your silver arrows, your blunt arrows, green arrows, red arrows, all the arrows. Put them in your quiver. Or or maybe may, maybe just the silver arrows. Maybe the blunt arrows they're not going to fit. Just the silver arrows. And then you get down, well, you can't really fit any arrows. It's just mainly bolts. You can put crossbow bolts. Like, something like that? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's, you know, you can uh, reduce it down from, uh, reduce it down to uh, the opposite. Uh, if you're in a, if you have a, a plethora of options to choose from, uh, you can reduce that down to, uh, no, there's just one. So just the one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, Brent, we're out of time, but I'm going to give you a few. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds to just kind of sum up your whole idea about comedy and how to be funny. Um, but he's not done going over the different funny. I know things. he's not know. done, but we're out of time. Uh, no, we're not. Bonus <laughs> episode. Cough, cough. Yeah. Um, no, so really, there's the two things that you should really be able to take away from this is break a pattern. So you have to establish a pattern before you can break it and take the edge off. You can say whatever you want as long as as long as no one in the audience is feeling personally attacked by it. 
So, oh, that's why that's that's why so many can. Well, I mean, a lot of comedians are really good at like making fun of themselves. Yes. Yeah. Because it can take the edge off. It makes them the victim, and it releases that tension, kind of all at the same time. Yes, because the audience can laugh because they they feel elevated because they're not in that situation. Uh, the comedian is the victim, and so yeah, you have a victim. And yeah, and they're not the hurting themselves. One. Well, yeah. maybe they are, but if they are, they don't. They seem to be okay with it. Right? Yeah, they they're at least telling you that they're okay, or you can see that they're okay, and it and it's fine. There's not an actual like crime or anything happening to them, and it's not affecting the audience in any way. Well, I was thinking what so, we could do since we didn't get into every different type of joke. We could have Brent back. He could talk a little bit more about comedy on another episode, and we can play some improv games that he could teach us. Ooh, that I sounds have like fun. so many questions. Are you okay with that, Brent? <laughs> yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that. I know uh, Erica yeah. just wants to continue for two hours. Uh, yeah, the... Um, I would say, in the meantime, if anyone wants to look up uh, Peter DeGraw's um, benign violation theory and Freud's uh, laughter uh, and Freud's different kinds of jokes, um, that will give you a good basis on how you can start incorporating comedy into uh, into your gaming sessions. Okay. Very cool. Or I can just be sarcastic. It's the only I'm... thing I'm really good at. I, what, what we're what we're doing in in a roundabout way is we're teaching Erica a, another big rule of comedy: always leave them wanting more. Oh, 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 fuck you! <laughs> the rule of threes. <laughs> oh man, I'm good at this. I didn't even know. All right. Um. So we're gonna play. That one movie now, and I'm going to explain this to Brent. We're going to do this real quick. We're not all going to play. We're just going to do Brent is going to come up with one for all of us because he's funny and we know he can come up with something funny. So be funny, Brent. Uh, every, no the thing every comedian wants to hear someone say to them. Chuck's uh, not funny, man. <laughs> so the way to play this game is you say you start off with that one movie and you um, describe a movie and just real quickly, like that one movie with that one person that did that one thing. And then we all try to guess the movie. And it should be reasonable, but, you know, hard at the same time. Do you, do you follow, Brent? Oh, uh, I, th I think so. All right. Let's, Maybe we let's should give think. him an example, Brian. Um, like that, that one movie where um, a bunch of friends get um, they get held hostage and then they all, uh, all get put into an incinerator. Oh, Schindler's List. Uh, Toy Story 3. Okay. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's They're exactly all how you going to hell. Uh, so, Brent, right. tell, us about, tell us about that one movie you saw. Oh, man. There was a, that one movie uh, where all those different high school stereotypes had to spend a day together. The Breakfast Club? Club. Into the yeah. Spider Verse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, both, both. <laughs> um, so, um, Brent, um, please promote your thing. Uh, it's about five and a half inches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that was classic, getting... classic misdirection. Uh, classic misdirection. But dumb tish. <laughs> uh, no, actually, out on uh, SoundCloud and Bandcamp. 
Uh, I have my new half hour that I recorded over the summer. Uh, it's called Vincent Holiday Final Thoughts. Uh, it is a Final Fantasy concept album. <laughs> um, it has... Yeah, all the tracks are named after different Final Fantasy characters. Um, it's free to download, free to stream. Um, it has like a pay what you want. You can just put zero in there. Just download it and listen to it. Um, I mean, you'll... that is nerdy as hell. But um, It ends with um, my Price is Right erotic fan fiction. <laughs> wow. Fantastic, by the wow. way. I have okay. heard it live. And by the time he was done, there was either people were like, what the fuck, and had walked out, or people were laughing hysterically on the floor. It was it was perfect. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it's it swings for the fence. And it... <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Vincent Holiday, final thoughts. Sounds great. And the rest of us will share the nerdy things we're going to be we're into in our bonus episode for patrons found at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Um, that's it for our episode today. Um, thank you, Vincent, for or Brett, Brent. Ugh. <laughs> I, I told you I get confused. Um, thank you, Brent, for your, um, God, your amazing lesson. Gonna be hard on, on, on you. Say what? No, I was just saying dementia is going to be rough on brain. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dementia is going to be rough on me. <laughs> He'll just be extra forgetful. <laughs> yes. Um, so I was your host today, Super Vegan Brian, and I was joined by Hindu Anthony. Bye, everyone. Chrissy Smurferka. Bye. David Theobald III. Bye, everybody. And our special guest, Brent Final Boss Bowser. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Uh, say goodbye. Bye, yeah. Bye and cut me off.